As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Holy wisdom, open our hearts and minds that as the scriptures are read and proclaimed, we may hear with trust and joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he passed the night there. He took a rock from that place and used it for a headrest and lay down to sleep there. During the night, he had a dream. There was a ladder standing on the ground with its top reaching to heaven, and messengers of God were going up and coming down the ladder. Yahweh was there standing over him, saying, I am Yahweh, this God of Sarah and Abraham, and the God of Rebekah and Isaac. Your descendants will be like the specks of dust on the ground. You will spread to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south, and all the tribes of the earth will bless themselves by you and your descendants. Know that I am with you. I will keep you safe wherever you go and bring you back to this land. I will not desert you before I have done all that I have promised you. Then Jacob woke and said, Truly Yahweh is in this place, and I never knew it. He was filled with trembling and said, How awe-inspiring is this, is this place is. This is nothing less than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early the next morning and took the stone he had used as a headrest and set it up as a monument and anointed it with oil. Jacob named that place Bethel, house of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is number nine in a sermon series we've been get, journeying together with called Sacred Community, where we've been exploring the marks of communities who have God at their center and communities who are seeking to live the spiritual life. Focusing on stories of our faith ancestors in the book of Genesis throughout this series, some of the marks of sacred community we have discovered together include hospitality, laughter, brokenness, imagination, people sharing their testimony about God's movement, willingness to change one's mind, and last week, Reverend Becky Bosarge helped us to consider how risk-taking is a part of sacred community, both on the part of God and on our part. Today I'd like us to consider as a marker of sacred community the marker of all markers, perhaps. The one who is eternal, having no beginning, who causes everything else to exist, that one is God. Without God, the divine creator of the universe, nothing, including sacred community, would exist. We may carry the assumption that if God is the reason that sacred community exists, and is meant to be the center of these communities, then of course God is a marker. And we may be aware that God is to be the focus and that knowing and doing God's will is to be our aim. But maybe you can relate to my experience. I'm not always conscious of God in my life, or especially of being right by my side as friend, consoler, sustainer, eternal lover, where is God for us? Out there somewhere looking in, 
Maybe you imagine God looking down upon you or up at you. Aside from the sense of where God is, can we even imagine God? Can we imagine our creator is closer to us than our own breath, as we often say in worship? Well, to help us explore these and whatever other questions we bring here today, we return to Jacob's story. Jacob, the son of Rebekah and Isaac, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, with whom God made an everlasting covenant, promising provision, sustenance, descendants outnumbering the stars in the sky, and that all the people of generations to follow would be blessed through them. Last week, we considered with Becky the story of Leah and Rachel of Haran, and how they came to be Jacob's wives and how they played a vital role in God's formation of that first sacred community. They were the mothers of the children who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Today's passage that Alexa read tells of events in Jacob's life before he came to know and marry Leah and Rachel. Here in chapter 28, he's actually on his way to Mesopotamia, to the city of Haran. Having been instructed by his father Isaac not to marry a Canaanite woman in whose land they lived, but to marry from their own clan. So Jacob has left home to seek a spouse, and he will soon meet Leah and Rachel. But this isn't the only reason Jacob has left home. He has much more on his mind than images of his future wife and imagining married life. Leading up to this point in his story, Jacob had made some choices that necessitated his leaving home in order to stay alive. Having first connived his elder brother Esau's birthright out of him, Jacob the trickster followed that with a scheme in collusion with his mother Rebekah to deceive his father Isaac into giving him the blessing reserved for firstborn sons. Isaac fell for the trick, and without realizing it, he bestowed an irrevocable blessing on Jacob instead of on his eldest son, Esau, the core of which is this. May God give you rain from the sky, oil, grain, and wine from the earth. May nations serve you. May you reign in power over your brothers. May they bow down to you. Well, when Esau learned that Jacob had yet again schemed for his own gain and Esau's loss, he fell into a murderous rage and made plans to kill his brother. Rebekah, their mother, aware of all of this, warned her son Jacob and instructed him to flee to her brother Laban in the city of Haran and stay there for a while or at least until Esau cooled off. Jacob did flee at once heeding his mother's instruction to find refuge and heeding his father's instruction to find a wife. We meet Jacob alone. We can imagine anxious, on the run. And he stops at a certain unknown place as the sun was setting. And there he spends the night. He uses a nearby stone for a pillow and drifts off to sleep. And here he has that dream you may have sung about in Sunday school, 
I am climbing Jacob's ladder. He dreams of a ladder or a staircase, and he sees angels, the messengers of God, going up and down and up and down. And then God speaks, giving Jacob the very blessing that God first gave to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, the promise of land, offspring, and more blessing. And then God gives an additional promise. Jacob, know that I am with you. I will keep you safe wherever you go. I will bring you back to the land. I will not desert you. I will not cease until I have promised all of these things and they have come to pass. So here is Jacob on the run for his life due to the consequences of his choices that brought discord to his family and compromised the very welfare of his, of his brother Esau. Jacob, who up until this point seems only to have chosen whatever would make his life easier, without any indication of his ever choosing God or seeking after the will of the God of his father and grandfather. Here is Jacob, this forever imperfect, finite human, and he has an encounter with Yahweh, the living God, who spoke to him, who chose him, who blessed him. And in the morning, we discover a very different Jacob. With the dream still very real, he is awestruck. He looks around and exclaims, how awesome is this place? He knows something new, something very different, something more. God is there, right there in that unknown wildernessy place with him, and not only with him, for him. A spiritual teacher I follow named Herb Kay shared in one of his podcasts the story of a therapist he once knew who had a sign above their office door that read, No one is coming. No one is coming. And this was meant to convey to their clients receiving therapy that no one was coming to save them from whatever trouble or trauma they may have been experiencing. And think about that. I wonder how you might feel if you saw that sign above the doorway of someone you hope would alleviate you from the ways life can seem like an enemy. You were hoping someone might save you from your trouble. The sign was meant to convey, probably, that most of our answers are within, not outside of us. And thinking about Jacob, maybe he hoped for someone, something to come, to arrive, to save him from the wreckage and desolation in his life. And we can read his story and the dream he had as, yes, someone did come. God did come and speak into his life, promising relief, promising constant companionship and salvation. But did God come? And listen to Jacob's testimony. No, God did not come to Jacob. Jacob came too. He came to his senses. He woke up. 
That dream he had served to remove blinders and filters and blockages from what's true and real all the time. God is not coming, for God is already here. Now, later today, tonight when we go to bed and have our own dreams, in the morning when we rise again, when we live out the moments of our days at times so certain God is in this place, and also God is here at other times in the hard and lonely, sad and scary times, when we look out around and wonder, really God, are you in this place now? Sometimes feeling so very alone, we cannot imagine otherwise. And we cry, God, when are you coming? Or will you? And even then and there in those times, it's hardest to believe or to experience, to feel, see, hear, to know God is with us and not against us. God's promise to Jacob extends to God's whole human sacred family. Yes, Yahweh, the God who formed us, says, yes, my love, even then, even there, I am not coming, for I am already here, by your side, guarding, guiding, knowing, and blessing you forever. Jacob shouts into the wilderness of that formerly uncertain, unknown place, Surely God is in this place, and I just didn't know it. Now he knows something brand new, and he is brand new. Moved to put his newfound faith and belief into action, in trust, he takes that stone, his dream pillow, and he sets it up, and he anoints it with oil, and he renames that place Bethel, the house of God. Just as for Jacob, so it is for us. Yahweh, the creator of the universe, chooses the finite, imperfect, often frail and unreliable, created by God, us, to journey with all the days of our lives, loving us and blessing and transforming us as members of God's sacred community. In every place we find ourselves, this is true. Sometimes we are sure we are in Bethel, the house of God, and we feel consolation. We experience faith, hope, and love expanding in our hearts, lives, and minds. And at other times, we simply don't. Life gets hard. Feelings of desolation will come. And then may we be blessed in remembering Jacob's story, that there is no place known or unknown no amount of brokenness or wreckage in our lives that sends God running away only to return when we somehow get it right or become somehow worthy. And we don't need a fancy dream in order to experience or know this to be true. And this is good news for those non-sleepers of us here today. We only need to pause, even for a moment, and become still, aware, and notice, as the psalmist sings, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Surely in this very place where you are, God is. I invite us to take a mindful moment together. Take a moment, take a breath, 
And consider such a place as Jacob's Bethel for you, one you've experienced as the house of God, the moment where God met you in a new way, even slightly more. It may be this present moment or something in your past. Recall a time when you had a lot or even a tiny bit of certainty that you were accompanied by a God who is for you. I'll take a moment right now. Friends, we do dwell in Bethel, the very house of God, and in that house is the feast table of our beloved Creator. That table that is large enough for the world that is always set and ready, always has a place for you and for me and for God's entire sacred community. Today as we celebrate the sacred meal of Holy Communion, you are invited to take your seat, to taste the good news. God is not coming. Surely God is right here, right now, in this place, forever. Thanks be to God, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. Amen.